Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, spine number 37, 1990s Predator 2, with biceps, cigars, cocaine, M16s, miniguns, laser blasters, Apollo Creed, decapodiscs, nuclear gauntlets, spears, bone tomahawks, razor nets, pussy faces, and two buseys. Jacob. Yes. All right, everybody, take a deep breath. Loosen your sphincters. We don't need any rush hour Rambos here. To another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin, you ready for some pussy face? Oh, always, man. I am really, really excited, honestly, for this episode. Um, this feels very Secret Handshake to me, and that these are popular films. We're talking about the Predator films, but they are so my relationship with my brother and other friends from growing up. I think for a lot of us, it's such a teenage boy type of series is hard to disconnect that. So going back to these was like really enjoyable. A lot of them I haven't seen for a while. I mean, one and two I watch pretty regularly, but I haven't seen the other group since they came out. It's weird. Like one, I was like five when it came out and mm-hmm. I distinctly have a memory of my dad watching it on cable in the living room and me coming downstairs from this like townhouse that we lived in in Westchester and then shooing me away And like I got a glimpse of Arnold and like an explosion. And even as like a young five-year-old boy or whatever, I was like, oh, what are we watching here? And then it became like sort of a holy grail whenever I saw the box for Predator in like the the video store or if I saw it listed in the TV guide or whatever. It's, It's weird. I didn't know he was watching Predator, but like my brain made the connection that like this has to be that movie because it's that guy and like he looks badass in the photos and so obviously there would have been explosions in it i had no idea though as a kid that there was like a renegade murderous alien involved and it's funny because i had the a similar experience but also a little bit different so we didn't have cable my parents would tape shit for us off of just tv edited for television and we had Predator 1 and Predator 2. And whenever they started taping Predator 1, the first 30 minutes aren't on there. So I thought it just started with them and the alien. I didn't know there's an opening of them, why they're even in the jungle going after these uh, kidnapped CIA agents. Um, so I had no point of reference to. And like you, though, it was a holy grail for me to see the real movie because they had to cut the shit out of these movies on TV. They're so violent. And there's a lot of cussing. I mean... They the edited version I saw was really chopped to bits. Well, the only pushback I'll have on that one is that Predator Two 
might be one of the movies I've seen the most in my life just because I've watched it on like TNT or TBS mm-hmm. so many times growing up. And honestly, the version that they played on TNT minus like the poorly dubbed like bad language that they took out of it is that the violence itself you didn't lose a whole lot in that TV cut. Like you if you saw Predator 2 on TNT during the 90s, you kind of saw at least 80% of the movie. And I, I do wonder if it's a different edit for what I had, because mine was not even cable. Mine was like Indiana okay. fucking, you know, NBC at like 3 o'clock. It was just possible, you know, or it's my childhood memory kind of Yeah, changing. just kind of playing tricks on you a little bit. But one of the things I always, to your point about, you know, the cover of, of the original Predator, right, with Arnold on the front, um, with the background of the, the thermal imaging... Um, what a weird, interesting thing for a, like you said, oh, there's monsters in this too. It's an Arnold movie first and the monster is second, you know, and and, in terms of the way it was advertised, because part of that also was, as we'll get to, they even changed the design for the predator halfway through shooting, right? Like it wasn't working. So they weren't even that confident in the monster they had versus think of alien. Okay. That was all about that, that Geiger, Geiger shit, right? Okay. We had the design. And the actors are kind of around that. This is Arnold's starring monster movie, but he's the only one on the cover. There's no monster in that fucking cover, which is pretty wild. Well, to take it back to your comment about how this was like one of the ultimate 13 year old boy, like movies that you saw when you were younger, um, four movies dominated my life. Let's say from about like 11 to 12 years old till the time that I was like 14 or 15, three of them, had Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. And what the first was Commando, okay. which I saw before all of these, and to me is still the ultimate Arnold movie. I know a lot of people count like Conan the Barbarian probably as the ultimate like first Arnold movie, but for me, Commando is the one where I looked and I was like, this is what Arnold movies are going to look like from here on out. Right. And honestly, I think is what Predator is sort of molded after too, especially with the Joel Silver connection. You know, is that he was like, okay, what if we make Commando again, but this time there's like a monster in it, you know? The second is Predator. Uh, the third is Aliens. And then the fourth is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So three of those are the same for me. Actually, mine was Terminator 1, then Predator, Aliens, and then Robocop was the other one. All ones we had taped off TV. And all of like, those were the four... Those are the four 80s sci-fi horror action franchises. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying Robocop is horror, but the rest of them have like elements of all. The kind of the four quadrant, <laughs> like giant, amazing new vision of sci-fi. Well, um, you're in that same era too of 86 and 87 where you're pulling from like, because Terminator's what, 84? 84, yeah. So like, but 86, 87, you have Predator and... Uh, RoboCop as well. Aliens is 86. Aliens is 86. So like that whole little kind of time period was like the planning of the seeds for what I would love in movies for a a huge portion of the rest of my life. There's always like going to be that lizard brain that I'm trying to feed or at least get back to that. I think stuff like the John Wick movies really feed now to where it's like they transport me back to like, going to the video store and being like, well, can't find anything new. So guess what? Terminator two, it's you again, or guess what? Predator. It's you again. Like we're just going to, that was one of the best friends 
outside of like horror movies that I watched over and over again that I spent the most time with. And honestly, I think like I watched these movies more than I even watched like stuff like Halloween might be the only one that contends with it or Friday the 13th. Like they were part of that kind of super text that made up my juvenile uh, cinema intake. Oh, I'm the same. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously we have a lot of crossover. That's why we're friends, you know, but I, I mean, Halloween's my favorite movie and I've probably seen it now more than those, but growing up, this these were on fucking repeat. Oh yeah, I mean all the time. Like Predator, like Predator Two as well. I mean, I just watched it a lot, um, and I just remember, especially we'll get to the whole scene in the meatpacking district. Right, it's just it's just inscribed in my brain. Like that scene is just like it's never going away. I know every frame of that entire sequence. I can't pull it out. So I watched it so many times, but I think like. One of the things you and I are talking about, you know, starting with the first movie, um, was your it's so made for teenagers, right? It's rated R, but definitely our age group is ideal for that because they're all fucking G.I. Joe characters. I mean, yeah. like from the It's the G.I. Joe movie before you had a G.I. Joe movie. Yeah, and G.I. Joe was already like they came out in eighty two, I think, and this is eighty seven. So like G.I. Joe was in full swing at this point and like a huge seller. The cartoon show was on. But yeah, you have like Billy's basically spirit and he's got, he's like the native American and he has the long knife, you know, Duke is Dutch. The leader, Jesse Ventura is like Sergeant Slaughter, Sergeant Slaughter, or even, um, rock and roll. Cause he has the, Oh the, yeah. yeah. Cause he has the, um, that's a good, the, min, the minigun, you know, uh, Bill Duke is roadblock. Like I'm not saying they planned this, but there is a sense of like, everyone has their specific weapon. Everyone has almost like aliens the same way where like they dress them in these ways, like the way you personalize your military gear like they did in Vietnam. This is much more comic booky, And it's really interesting that like one of the most popular series in the Dark Horse comics was Predator in the Aliens movies. And this has already started. It feels like a comic book. You know, it has that setup of these larger than life kind of, and the, the the idea alone, if you told me like in 2005 based on a, a DC comic, I'd be like, Oh yeah, 100%, you know, it has that kind of, again, four quadrant kind of storytelling. Well, and you said that it was like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie first and a monster movie second, which I agree with. But I think one of the most remarkable things about the original predator is that it succeeds in total at being three different movies is that it's first an action film, or probably first an Arnold movie, and then next a straight up action film. Because like that section that you missed when you were a kid is like a totally different movie yes. than what the movie becomes in the back half. Because then in the final third, it becomes a great slasher too, mm -hmm. to where it's just guys getting picked off in the jungle one by one by this unseen force. So it's the final girl. Him. And then it circles back to being an Arnold movie where it's just mono-y predator with, with the biggest, strongest, most charismatic human being to ever like grace the silver screen. You know, like it nails every one of those though. And the thing, I think that's the thing that makes it the most miraculous is that you watch it and you're like, you're good at all of this. It's like the Michael Jordan of movies. It, and it also, you can, I mean, I know McTiernan was, could be difficult to work with. The stories are told. It was, he's difficult on a lot of stuff. Then went on to have other legal troubles. I was going to say, certainly difficult to be in business with. <laughs> yeah. Wiretapping your phone. Yeah. And the IRS doesn't love him either. Um, but this movie, I think your point about it 
kind of taking the commando setup and running with it is cool because McTiernan had had uh, nomads before, so he had no real big films besides that under his belt. And he goes from this and then jumps right to Die Hard. And you can see this is kind of like his his like ramp up to Die Hard because he goes crazy with cinematography with Jan de Bont yeah. and Die Hard. What they do with that set of these crazy... All the anamorphic stuff. All the anamorphic stuff and all the stuff on the tracks that like go around in these like circles. Weird fucking shit. It almost has an art house <laughs> look to it sometimes in Die Hard. And this is like, all right, do Commando again, but bring your own touch to it. And and then you get Predator, who, again, was... So the story goes, Jean-Claude Van Damme, there are pictures, was playing the original Predator. Um, in a suit that kind of looked like a giant lobster, almost? He, yeah, he had a... And his head was, like, bobbing. It was almost yeah. like a bobblehead. More of an insectoid kind of face. Um, and... I don't know how far. I think they were like halfway into shooting. It was um, a while into it when he got fired. Really far in. And it wasn't like his fault. There was like this design looks stupid. Yeah. Because like they were like, we love what we got with the action. This looks dumb. So they call their boy Stan Winston, you know, hot off of Aliens and the guy, Terminator, Aliens. And they're like, all right, who are we going to call again to help create, <laughs> you know, modern sci-fi horror action? And... He pulls out Predator out of his fucking ass. I mean, he and his team. I mean, he was kind of known for taking a lot of credit for his team's work, and he had an amazing team behind him. So I think it was a, a team effort. But, I mean, one of the things you texted me is there aren't many cooler fucking movie monsters than Predator because he acts, again, he can be a slasher villain, which we'll kind of get to with parts of Prey, but he can also just be, like, your hero, if you need him to be in some of these movies, like he kind of becomes the hero in ATP, you know, he could, cause he, he can be heroic depending on how you shoot him. And there's hero predators in multiple of these movies. Yes. That's the thing that works best about the predator franchise as a whole, including uh prey. The newest movie that we both saw uh, is that it works best as an omnibus or yep. like a collection of short stories to a certain degree to where it's like, and, and it's all about, the cleanliness of the log line in that in the first movie, it's predator versus commandos. Cool. Easy enough. Or predator versus GI Joe. If we want to take it back to the, the idea that we've just kind of tossed out the second movie, predator versus drug dealers versus the, or cops yeah. or cops. Exactly. Or literally like predator versus lethal weapon or, or just predator in LA. Yeah. The pitch is quick, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just, you can, like, if you were in the room, you would probably be like, we get Danny Glover and it's literally Predator versus Murtaugh. And you're like, all right, cool. You got the Shane Black connection already from the first one. Exactly. So done. And then the third movie, Predators, is literally Battle Royale with Predators. And then you get, and I think this is the part that trips up Shane Black's actual movie, The Predator, is that you can't boil it down to a really like succinct, almost like elevator pitch. Yeah. You know, is because The Predator, it's like The Predator versus Autism Boy versus and a bunch of commandos out of a psych hospital and a dad. And then there's also Hot Scientist Lady. And then there's a good predator and then there's a super predator. It's just, there's too much going on because he, he very much tries to make 
a Shane Black movie instead of making a Predator movie. And I think that's where he trips over his own feet. I still like the Predator. I think there's a lot of charms to it, even though it's like a total fucking mess when you watch it. But it's like, that's why it's probably the, the least of all the films, not counting the AVP movies, which we also watched and we'll get to, is that it just kind of is like, ah, we don't know who we're fighting here. Like who, like what's the, the clean through line that, that defines the rest of the predator franchise because the newest one prey is just predator versus native American warriors. That's it. That's the movie. Yep. The simpler, the simpler, the better. And I mean, the, he's almost like a pro wrestler. Like they're almost like WWF films. Yeah. I mean, in the first one is so clean. I mean, it really, it, what I mean, Jim Thomas and John Thomas, right? Right. The brothers who wrote that. And then they wrote the sequel, too. They also what, pr- had some producing credits on them, too, I, I believe. I think so. And, and then Shane Black, you know, famously also did rewrites for mm-hmm. the first one. And you could pick out his lines. I mean, all of the, like, him, his character telling jokes to Billy, that's fucking him. He wrote it. He said it. Um, but a lot of the, the more self-serious stuff, like, that is not him. Um, I think all the, like... Great stuff with Bill Duke, like standing over the body of Jesse Ventura. Is like, I'm going to cut your name into him. You know, that doesn't seem like a Shane Black kind of thing to me, at least. Um, no, the Shane Black stuff feels like all of the camaraderie bits. Uh, just that we're also where looking for camaraderie, like, yeah. Uh, you know, all the stuff that involves Carl Weathers, especially the early, like, the commandos come, they meet up with their CIA li- liaison in, in Carl Weathers, and then, like, it's just them kind of broing down. That feels like the bits to where, like, it's almost the, the epitome of, like, punch-up. They brought Shane Black in, yeah. they're like, hey, like, we really got this solid script, you know, a trade-off is like, we'll pay you and you, we'll put give you a role in it, but we, we just need it to pop a little more. Yeah, and you, it's like Milius was the same way. Right. They would pop him in for, like, Hunt for October. It's like, oh, we had a long speech that needs to be really heavy. We got Milius. That was, like, cool era of 80s, you know? Or I mean, that was always Hollywood, but these guys who would do Or in, like, scripts. the 90s when they were bringing, like, Sorkin does but does punch up on The Rock. John Sayles, like, wrote all these scripts. He wrote, like, Shark Tale. Exactly. <laughs> Tarantino comes in and does stuff on Crimson Tide. Yep. Uh, Robert Town does a rewrite on virtually every fucking Don Simpson and Jerry Brockheimer and, every, and, every, and Tom Cruise as well. All exactly. The like shit. always, yeah. yeah, works, comes in and works on like the De Palma mission impossible mm-hmm. and mission impossible too. too. Uh, but he straight it, up wrote days of thunder. Exactly. Yeah. Like these guys, we were still in the era and obviously like Shane black was a big part, if not the granddaddy of this is that he was the guy who, that like kind of ushered in like the superstar rock star, like screenwriter who could command like a million or two per paycheck. Joe Esterhaus is one of the other ones too of like, it was just a different era for writers then. like writers could actually become their own brand and not to say that they can't now, but it was just, is it fair to say it was different then? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if there's, there's no better just encapsulation of that than the predator. I mm-hmm. mean, it's kind of like this, this case study of, now he did not create the original predator film, but he was very involved. And again, we were saying like a lot of the humor and the vibe comes from him and silver, like it, and because silver. Joel Silver is the one like bringing the actual talent in. Yeah, and but you could see the the thinking of um, 20th Century Fox and you know 2017 when they're planning the Predator, saying like, oh, we get Shane Black. He just you know he did Iron Man three, did uh, Nice Guys. He's in good shape. 
wouldn't it be cool to kind of like the way you like you bring back the original filmmaker in their mind? You know, we're not going to get McTiernan back, but then we're also going to handcuff him at every turn. You know, because as we've we've read, there's just so much studio interference and reshoots on the Predator. It is it when shows- he almost got canceled. Because of his, like casting that one friend that he had that was like a sex predator. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that that oh, Olivia shit. Munn like went off and like there was a whole like because she didn't know. Revolt. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is like he fucked up in not disclosing it to the crew before, but they like led and, and sh- her in particular uh, with Olivia Munn like she led almost like a full scale like mutiny on that production which was part of the actual like production woes while it was in the original shooting. Well, and this gets us to a point that you have brought up a couple times off mic of this series, the irony of that is the series is so known for being we say mildly on PC from the beginning. Now, the early oh, yeah. the early films were- I mean, Jesse Ventura Calls the rest of the crew a bunch of slack jawed f words. Yeah, the bad, the, the longer film. f mean f word. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, like right off, right out of the gate. Five and then, in. I mean, Predator Two is like, oh, it's so racist. Riddled with racist caricatures. Predators has just anything Walton Goggins does in Predators is horrible. And that movie's only fucking like twelve years old, and yeah. it's like. I'm gonna, it's shocking. If we get back, I'm going to do so much cocaine. I'm going to so rape many so many fine bitches. You're like, wow, you and let that in a movie a little over a decade ago. And then it keeps going. You're like, all right, the joke's over. And he's like, looks nope. at us, he goes, I'm going to look at my watch like five o'clock. Time to rape some bitches. Like, no, we get the joke. You can stop well, and now. And he calls the predator a space F word yeah. again. Like, it's, he jumps on his back and starts shanking him and... and Questions the the predator's sexuality. So the fact that we have a, a that predator's all man. Yeah, <laughs> he he finds out pretty quickly that that predator is all man. Um, but I mean, it, it is ironic that prey, this new one, is being touted as quote unquote the woke predator movie. I mean, with Hulu even going out of their way to provide Comanche subtitles, di- like subtitles and stuff, is that it's like. Like, you get it. Like, representation, very good and positive and a big deal. But it's just so indicative of, like, the different particular eras that these these movies are made in that Prey is now, like, it. it's part of that IP-driven, representation-first kind of era of even blockbuster filmmaking that, you know, when it began, we were so far away from that shit. Like, it's not even funny. Yeah, it's and it feels like a very strong reaction film post The Predator. You right. know, of like, not just how it was taken, the Olivia Munn drama, but like all of that derailed the film and lost them a fuck ton of money. So it's like, we're not... Arguably met- ended Shane Black's directorial career or at least derailed it we should say momentarily yeah because he doesn't seem like he was fully canceled but like it's like not a good look and also for any studio to be like it certainly uh, didn't help his career it did, yeah and and like he doesn't want to he doesn't what studio wants to trust him to shepherd a, a big ip film again or any kind any size film there's always like the daily wire something like that i don't think he's gonna go that direction but, no but i know. mean like it is Interesting because like Shane Black outside of the Lethal Weapon movies, like his his career is kind of spotty, you know, straight up from basically 
quitting slash getting fired from Lethal Weapon 2 and having, you know, is heartbroken when that whole movie is basically rewritten. Um, it's so weird. To like, you know, the uh, last Boy Scout being, let's say, a difficult shoot as well and kind of compromised. Um, to like even The Nice Guys, a movie that's one of my favorite you know, films of the last 10, 15 years. Like, that wasn't a hit. It didn't make money. Long Kiss Goodnight, not a hit. Didn't make a whole lot of money. So, like, he's a name brand that kind of persevered despite the fact that, like, just because he was attached to a movie, it wasn't going to be Iron Man 3, you know? Yeah, it's... I Again, I think Shane Black is a kind of filmmaker or an auteur that people like us talk about, but he doesn't have right. the... Shane Black presents or a Shane Black film above that the, the general public is ever going to get. I just don't think he ever had that cred. I mean, you after say, Lethal Weapon, they were able to sell a lot of films that he was involved with off of from the creator of Lethal Weapon. Back then. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's right. There saying. was an era where that would, that would fly, but even then it wasn't like a Shane Black film. It was from the creators of Lethal Weapon. It was, again, what he was attached to. He never really crossed over to having that like the name. Well, it also took him a long time to actually direct a movie. Yeah, it was it took for decades. 2004 or 5 was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. 2005. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, no. It was actually, it was later than that because I was out of college. So it was either 06 or 07. It was 05 because I, co- I was in college. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think it was that summer. So my friend had already seen it at Cannes. He came back and was like, we got to go see this. Okay. Because it was at the same Cannes. I as- swear it was after I was out of college. But it, not that it matters. But that was, that's how long it took him. It took him almost 20 years from Lethal Weapon to actually direct a film. Yep. Yeah. And it's... Um, and that one's not a hit. That was a huge bomb. But, you know, it totally... Without that film, I don't think you'd have... Robert Downey Jr. You wouldn't no. have Iron Man. That was the film. You that, wouldn't. That's that, the famous story behind it. Yeah, right? that's the film that kind of. That's why he kind of returned the favor to Shane Black for Iron Man three, where he's like, "Hey, like I'm making thirty million dollars a movie. I'm like the center of this entire franchise. I can get you in here." And Iron Man three was actually one of the highest grossing films in that series. It made oh, over a sure. billion dollars. But in but from the fan, from my friends or MCU fans, it's one of the least favorite. It's not. It's because it's not an Iron Man movie. See, I think that's Man, almost I, anecdotal ed- evidence on your part because, like everybody else that I know, I know that I've gone to war with a bunch of people because the big line of defense when when they talk about Iron Man three is that oh, it's one of the ones that they tout along with Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn, like an auteur one. Is that they're like, well, this is proof that you're allowed to make like a director's allowed to come in and actually make their movie, and you watch it and you're like. Like, you get some Shane Black flair, but I wouldn't exactly call Iron Man 3 a Shane Black film. Like, it ain't the fucking nice guys. No, no, no. But I think it is, it leans, there are sequences of him not even being Iron Man for an hour of the movie. And, like, from a plot point, well, he, the and Christmas he, stuff. he and Rhodey become, like, full-on buddy cops for yeah. half the movie without powers, without suits. James Badge Dale is one of the trademark uh, Shane Black henchman yeah, and a great one, and he's really great in it. No, like and all the stuff with the um, the Mandarin, like that whole reversal, like that's pure Shane Black stuff. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying that, like, you know, 
this ain't exactly like Spielberg coming in and, and like completely recontextualizing the MCU. Like you get a little bit of funny dialogue, some yeah. character beats and stuff, but it's it's still an MCU film. You're it's the way I look at it is like you're there's a giant now fucking bowl of batter, right? That's been going on for you know over ten years, and you're you're like oh, I'm going to put some cardamom in there. Ooh, and you get you taste a little bit during one bite, and the still. It's a fucking Marvel cake. You know, like yeah. it's never going to change. Like same with the icing's just a little different. Yeah. Or you get, you know, or what Marvel I think is sometimes intelligent is they bring people like Taika, who I don't like that much anymore, but like, or James Gunn, have them kind of do an outlier film with tone wise. And then that becomes the new norm because post right. post galaxy, every film had James Gunn humor. Like post Taika, it got everything got a little goofier. Like there's a real not all the thing. Like Black Widow is a little more serious, but Eternals is insufferable, right? But they, there's you can see them like, oh, that worked here. We're gonna kind of uh, move that around. But um, yeah, it's it's something that we, when we talk about Shane Black here, obviously for extended period of time, but we, people don't talk about McTiernan that much in connection to the first Predator. It feels like like when you talk about Die Hard, people talk about McTiernan more. I, yeah. I don't know if it's just me, but it's just like the conversations. I think having a star like Schwarzenegger. I, is I was going to say, yeah, did that, that over? That's where I, I agree with you. Is that Arnold eclipses the actual filmmaker? But I mean, it does fit well into the idea that like one of the reasons that Arnold was such an amazing superstar, particularly in the eighties, is that he chose to work with genuine yep. like craftsmen, like James Cameron, like John McTiernan. Yeah, you know, like Ivan Reitman making even like something like Twins, or even Milius like, earlier, or on. even Milius with yeah. like Conan the Barbarian. Like he had uh, great taste in in the the guys who were shepherding his career. I mean, and I think part of that comes from with R.I.P. He he just recently passed, but Bob Raffleson mm. with Stay Hungry is one of the guys that you know. Unfortunately, Mr. Raffleson died about a week or so ago now as we're recording. You're just talking but about Arnold, him too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's um, but Arnold uh, you know, wrote this very touching goodbye that was basically like, you know, Bob was the guy who like when the rest of Hollywood was shutting the door on me, Bob Raffleson was the one who was like, now come on in, let's do a thing together. And I mean, like he even was in like a Robert Altman movie playing, you know, a background character, but like a bodyguard in the long goodbye. Yep. You know, like it's just like, Arnold always had an instinct for the type of dudes that he wanted to work with. And I think McTiernan fits that because McTiernan is such a bona fide, he's an auteur, but he's an auteur if you look for it. Like he's more of a sturdy, just craftsman who's so good with composition and uh, his camera work and especially the widescreen cinematography of his movies. Like, he just found a guy that he knew was going to make him look fucking like heroic. And we were talking about this when we were watching it because we watched the double feature of Prey and then Predator. You're like, let's watch Predator right now. And I was like, right, fucking in because I, as we'll get to after I got watched Prey, I was jazzed. And it's been like, I felt I've like I've been jacked up for a week I, I, since seeing this movie. It's together. been a week since I saw it. And we were both just like, I, so Carrie, Jacob's girlfriend, was it like a, across the house? Very similar to when um, you and I watched Last Duel, um, and your dad heard heard woke me up my dad in the middle of at the like night three a.m. And so like I'm not a very vocal film watcher usually with you, right? But like if I'm watching an action film for the first time, like we watch Shakedown, like I lost my shit. I love to whoop and holler, and half of Prey, I am like off the couch, 
like. Well, there are like three. I want to save this for when we actually get to the praise segment of the show. But there are like two, maybe three all-timer set pieces in Pride that are just like, and not only in terms of like how they're they're choreographed and shot, but the gore in Prey is so fucking chef's kiss that uh. you're like, mm, this movie like gets it. But again, I think it takes it back to the idea that like we're watching pro wrestling. We're we're cheering for our favorite wrestling persona coming in and just fucking people up. Well, and um, when we got, I agree. When we got to Predator that night, one of the things we were also talking about was just a lot of the best people who've worked with Schwarzenegger. Like he was saying he knows how to pick them. Was people who can make him look as good as possible, just just visually, beyond story and beyond acting. Well, there's like a reason that that famous like two biceps coming together has become like the meme one of the most memes. yeah one of the most recognizable gifts or memes of of internet culture yeah i mean he well there's the shot i think we we're there's two shots specifically there's one where like still us uh, <laughs> turned to the side holding his machine gun it's like a low light and it's like kind of like magic hour but his he's holding the gun out like perpendicularly and his fucking like Bicep is just huge, and he just looks like an action figure, like you said. And the other, or one, like the the Carl Weathers like double machine gun one, where he makes the what kind of guns are those? Those Martin, are they're know. they're uh, HK MP5s. Okay, so yeah. he makes two HK MP5s look like nine millimeter Glocks because his arms are so fucking jacked. Well, and that's the like one thing we haven't talked about is the hilarious behind the scenes stories of the making of this movie. I mean, like when I first got the first D, the first double disc DVD, that black one with the sleeve, yeah. Um, I had that too. It's one of the things that our friend David Pryor told us about with all the special edition DVDs he worked on. I don't think this is one of them. It's very similar, that kind of like awesome, like kind of cardboard case around it. Amazing special features. And they had this whole thing about that every morning, like all of this, so like Jesse the Body Ventura, um, Carl Weathers, Schwarzenegger, um, like Sonny Landum, a couple other guys too, would like go run 10 miles. And then before every scene, they'd have fucking just like weights off the side of the camera and they'd be like pumping iron, which you do to like look jacked all the time. And the stories of like, you know, do some sit ups to make your abs look good in the next scene. It, it works. But these guys were doing crazy thing. One of the producers tells stories. He's like, yeah, they took me out one day. Just to show us what our their workout was like. I wanted to see this skinny little producer. And he's like, I was puking all fucking day. He's like, I have never done anything like that before. He's like a 10 mile run like lifting for like two hours and well, then it's a five like mile run. Shane Black, who's not a small guy, like he's actually pretty jacked up, especially when he was younger and stuff. He looks like a dwarf compared to these dudes. Yeah. Like Bill Duke. I, one of the funniest parts of it is that Bill Duke, not a physical specimen, but what he brings to match like their, their physical prowess is just this like killer intensity the entire time that you're like, yeah, that guy's eating a few more hamburgers than Arnold, but he might also cut Arnold's throat while he's sleeping. Well, and that's why I think connects and we'll get to like the AVP movies, but you know, for me, the, the, the connective tissue while he didn't work on predator between aliens and the predator movies is Walter Hill because the first predator feels like it could be a Walter Hill movie. You have a lot of people like Sonny Landon in there who come, you know, from the, the Hill universe, so to speak of that comic bookie larger than life. Um, well, and Walter Hill makes one of his ultimate like man's man movies the same year as predator too, with extreme prejudice. Exactly. And that full, which is that very Rambo fied Southern border 
I just rewatched it last week and it just, oh my God, I love it so it's much. It's the Wild Bunch with G.I. Joe's. It's more G. We should almost start a subgenre of what is G.I. Joe cinema. Oh, because, I'll, let's like, do that. Yeah, to where they, oh, they yeah. actually fit in together. Because, like, Extreme Prejudice is kind of in the same exact mold as Predator. It's just the Wild Bunch with G.I. Joe's as opposed to, like, a slasher creature feature with G.I. Joe's. Well, yeah, and because, and you have Walter Hill, who also was wrote some of the original screenplays for Alien and right. was the producer of all the Alien movies. So there is this, like, connective tissue to the kind of comic booky world, the, the straight up B movie turned A movie kind of story. Cause like Predator feels like if you said, Hey, Walter Hill wrote that, I would completely believe it. Oh, sure. You know, like absolutely believe that he wrote that script. Uh, but it's that kind of filmmaking. Well, and before we get to Predator 2, which is our main movie of the episode, let's talk about Predators a little bit because I feel like to your point, it jumps a generation of tough guys in terms of the creators to where like Walter Hill, you can kind of feel his DNA running through Predator and like you have McTiernan and all these dudes who, who kind of made the blueprint for action movies for the next, like let's say 10 years or yep. so. Well, with Predators, you have Robert Rodriguez coming in and picking up the mantle as a guy who is like with Desperado and from Dust Till Dawn and stuff, and was inspired by guys like James Cameron. Definitely Walter Hill. And Walter Hill <laughs> and John Woo. And like he's coming and he adds another kind of layer of comic book flair to his troublemaker production of Predators because Predators is just, again, where it's like Predator versus Commandos, Predator or Predator versus G.I. Joe's, Predator versus like Lethal Weapon. This one is Predator Battle Royale. Yeah. Or Predator Hunger Games, or take your pick of which one you're you're coming to. To for me personally, obviously, because we did Battle Royale as an episode of this series, but it's like Predators is Battle Royale just with Predators and like Predator Dogs, and honestly, one of the craziest one one of the things that we have to cover with this whole series, every movie. Um, for at least the primary ones, has some of the craziest fucking casts you'll ever oh. encounter. Well, and, and some of them before they blew up. Yeah, I mean, because you have like Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. Yeah, like I was like, what the movie? fuck's he doing? And here? he's I mean, one of the first ones to die in Predators. Yeah, and he's and he and like Walton Goggins, like still kind of in justified years. Yeah, because this is 2010, right? Yeah, Early, like, 2010. You're right in that that time period, but he's starting. His stock is really rising because of his TV work. Yeah, post Oscar. Oh, and uh, also Adrian the Brody. Shield too. It, it, that Goggins became oh, he's known so for. good. Um, and then. And Adrian Brody, like you just said, Adrian Brody jacked to oblivion and like doing Charles Bronson almost with all of his lines. Like all of these guys, they, I think one of the things that makes Predators, because I didn't like this movie when I first saw it. And on revisit this time, I was like, wait, I was wrong. This movie kind of fucking rules. They're back to playing action figures again because all of these dudes oh, yeah. are just different archetypes. Oh, it's, it's what's so fun about it. Because I when I first saw it, I saw it with some friends and I really enjoyed it. And the director, Nimrod Antal, like... He did a movie I kind of like called Armored. Um, oh, yeah, which the, is, the Armored Card movie. Which I is like just that a movie. really, again, Walter Hilly, solid, like, kind of like ambulance, kind of a pared down, yeah. you know, crazy action, like really interesting, kind of fun characters. German director, right? Because he made that one movie Control yes. overseas and yeah. then came over here. And Control's really fucking good. And, and the thing about Predators is it's goddamn gorgeous. 
It the looks great. The movie is beautiful. Which like, is amazing <laughs> seeing that Robert Rodriguez was within spitting distance of it. Because, I mean, let's face it, not a guy who's exactly known for how good his movies look. This is like a very well-directed movie. The action is, is solid. Um, all the like, I love the cinematography of just under the canopy of the jungle. And it's yeah. just this like, it's that low light. It's never bright. It all feels like it's like five o'clock in the evening. Like the sun has gotten low. You're in the darkness and all the like fun they have with what the predator can do. And it kind of dips a toe into the um, inner turmoil in the predator society of these like bigger hunters and smaller, but it doesn't take over the movie. The I same think way the predator tried to do it. It comes close for me. I'm not going to lie. It's a little confusing. I think the first hour of predators is like rock fucking solid mm. to where, and I was like sitting up in my seat being like, you know what? I love this feeling. I love when I got a movie wrong the first time yeah. and I'm just revisiting it and being like, okay, no, this kind of fucking rules. I'm going to come back and watch this again. I think the back half when it starts, Introducing because I don't exactly know what's going on. Is it a civil war in Predator Land? Like I like there's like almost like a caste system. That's or what something. it is. It's, it's not a war. It's more like these are the less than these are the bigger guys. Which is like I, I agree. It's like don't you don't need to. I add don't that. care that much. Like I just want to see them like fuck people up. You know, like I don't care about their politics. There you also see elements of like. I think it really starts with um, like Force Awakens in 2015 where Hollywood's like, oh, wait, we could just make the same movie again. Like they've uh. they, they done it before, but never as egregiously as Force Awakens. And sure. after that, it's like, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife where it's like, oh, wait, we don't even have to fucking write a new script. This is great. You know, and the last 30 minutes of this, like there are shots and lines and almost like the same plot as the original Predator. They kind of like run home to mama. A little bit. Well, yeah, because Brody gets to do the whole Schwarzenegger one-on-one, which thing is laughable. Is he honestly having? He him, is kind of swole, though. I mean, for Adrian Brody, for Adrian Brody, and I when I saw in the theater, I laughed out loud because I was like, "You're going to have him again." The ultimate cinematic spectacle of all time, uh, probably of all time, is Schwarzenegger, right? Like, just like you said, the image, the star, but also just the body. Like, you can't beat yeah. Mr. Universe. He's his own special effect. Yeah, and like all the stuff, like the end of predator one where he's making the goddamn bow and he's like stretching it over his back. And it's just like, well, in that iconic McTiernan shot of him on the side of the cliff with the two torches screaming, goes, and you're like, yes, this well, yeah, is great. It's, it's amazing. He's in, he's in the left third of the frame and it's like this epic, like man versus nature versus beast. And it's just it's like, Herzogian. dude, it's fucking Nagiri. It's like, it feels like it gets me fucking going. And to have Adrian Brody jacked for Adrian Brody, but then I'm like, and he's covered in mud, but he also has the, he's like, I don't know, it just feels like a, a very obvious nod to the original, which it is, but it doesn't add much. Um, I will say who does add a whole lot to it right when the movie starts to sag is when Lawrence Fishburne shows up as essentially like the participant in it, because we basically find out that it's a bunch of killers that the, the predators have rounded up everybody from like a, a commando to like a, a Nigerian death squad member to Yakuza Yakuza to Toffer Grace, I think being like a Dexter serial, He's a serial killer, killer type. Yeah. Um, but them all being dropped off onto a planet that is a, we find out 
is a big game preserve that the predators use to hunt these people for sport. And Lawrence Fishburne is essentially like the battle Royale characters who have been there for a few seasons and survived it. And he's learned how to live on this planet and has killed quite a few people. And even has his own makeshift predator outfit that he's in. Cause we think he's a predator at first, but he's like, talking to voices in his head and like doing a whole like crazy dude on the island thing like he's awesome he almost goes full brando and like island of dr moreau in this movie and like (laughs) he's only in it for like 10 minutes but those 10 minutes like it's like i'm just happy that fishburn comes in he's like oh yeah you want me to do a thing cool i'll do a thing he's great in it and i love the design of the inside of that ship it's like super fucking cool oh yeah it's I love, great i love that whole set piece well and i think i texted you this but i don't know where i heard this but i believe the original pitch for predators was going to be schwarzenegger and danny glover are both gonna be back because the idea was the battle royale thing of like what if we dropped all yeah. the guys who've beaten Predators before. There are so many times where they've tried to get both of those dudes Yeah, to I think back. this was the one. Because I think Danny pitch. Glover was supposed to be the Lawrence Fishburne character or something where we find out that they actually did come back and get him for this big game preserve thing. In the same way that I believe the original ending for The Predator, when it when the cryo tube opens and they're like, we have the, the, the Predator super. machine or whatever that comes out. I think that was supposed to be Dutch originally that comes out of that because does it, it wasn't also in predators. There was supposed to be a cameo where he comes back with like a legion of good predators at the end. Anyway, there's a, a bunch of different versions where they were trying to lure those guys back into the fold and they just never bit at the bait. Yeah. And it is, it is a franchise that I think would, do well because it never takes itself so seriously. No, that you can like versus. I think one of the problems of the Alien series has gone down the path of like being very self serious and being like, you know, it'd be kind of fun, a fun Alien movie. Yeah, like, I don't need you know a movie. Like I'm of, dreading the Noah Hawley series. Like I know it's gonna be so up its own ass. Oh my god, and I really really like the Fargo series. Sure. Um, I, think I think it's, I think it's very good TV. I think it's great writing. I tried to read his novel. I read five pages and I couldn't go on. Well, he also it, did the, the Natalie in the sky. Yeah. Which isn't terrible, but not, it, it is very self-serious and, and trying to do again, like Natalie Portman as like crazy space lady. Yeah. I, but I, I think that predator, like predator never, the series has never forgotten that it's like, basically a dark horse comic. It's just like you said, an omnibus of you can do whatever pitch you fucking want. And what's funny though, is with these movies, they still do all these like very concrete connections to previous films. Like surprisingly. So like, like in the predator, her fucking spear from AVP that she makes at the end of the movie is on the wall. Yeah. So it's like little things like that where I was like, Whoa. And it isn't, they're not saying, Hey, look at this. It's just, it's just there. And there's all these like connected tissue where like the filmmakers are like, Oh, we're going to connect all this shit. They, they reference like AVP Requiem slightly, I think in the predator as well. Like it's all connected. Well, and they, they talk about Dutch and his team in predator two. And, and the they predator. also reference it in the predator and predators predator. Do they talk about it in predators? And she tells the story. Oh yeah, Alice no, Braga no, yeah, you're right. Story. Yeah, because she was there in, in in South America for that one. So no, but I I think that's the part that makes me happy. 
that they never brought Arnold or Danny mm. Glover or any of them back because like that would feel cheap to where here it's almost like we're doing they're, again they're like short stories it's like you know the universe and we'll like drop little hints here and there that like these movies are kind of connected but for the most part they're standalone stories that run like a hundred minutes or so they they get you like a real quick action like dopamine like buzz and that's it that's that's what you get for it and you get some good gore some good predator action and there's something to be said about like that sort of see the box it does what it says on the box style of filmmaking and they never fail i mean even at its worst which i think was probably avp requiem for me out of anything a predator has been associated with i don't i don't lump them all in together i think okay. those two movies are doing their own fucking thing that d- doesn't really work for anybody okay even though there's interesting stuff in them but i think the standalone predator movies there isn't a bad one like they're varying degrees of entertaining but like they run the gamut from like masterpiece to like that was i right. Yeah, it's a good Saturday afternoon movie. Right. All, I mean, all of them are that, but of, of varying quality. So let's get to specifically The Predator. The, the sure. F- the fourth of the standalone. And least successful. And least successful. And so I'll be honest, I lied for a long time and told people I'd seen this. I watched 10 minutes of this when it first came out and turned it off. Because like it starts off rough. It starts off kind of confusing of like there's all these different threads narratively. So I didn't watch it for the first time through and through until like five days ago. Well, it, it tries to start again. It, it's the, the, the symptom of the movie's disease is that it tries to start and recreate the tension of the first of like, here's a bunch of guys on a mission in you know, in this part, it's Mexico, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, Boyd Holbrook is a sniper, and he's supposed to be taking a dude out while there's like a hostage exchange. And in the middle of it, the, the alien ship comes down and crashes. It gets interrupted. But it's like, he's tr- you can see what he's trying to do, but right out of the gate, it just kind of feels manufactured. And it's not until it becomes, because there's a whole lot of really janky, especially by Shane Black standards, storytelling. Oh yeah. Because it's like, this all happens. And then Boyd Holbrook, like, gets the Predator's mask and mails it from Mexico home to America to his son, who's played by Jacob Tremblay, who has autism or Asperger's. He's on the spectrum. We'll just go with that. That's a much safer, uh, more political. way. I don't think the movie knows. Um, (laughs) They say it, but I think they're a little bit offensive. Well, I remember there was backlash to the idea when the log line was even first kind of because in Shane Black's original log line, I believe it is autism Mm. and like people were automatically offended by it to where it's like, he's going to make a movie where it's about a kid with autism has superpowers. And he was like, no, 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 it actually does turn out that that is kind of the thing because they literally even say like, you know, people on the spectrum, the people in the spectrum are the next step in evolution. And he becomes the predator's primary target because of that sort of ridiculous. Um, But like, then it becomes like Boyd Holbrook is taken to like be studied by the military and Sterling K. Brown is like a, a military operative. And then he's thrown on a bus with a bunch of, with the loonies who this is where the ridiculous cast part of uh, this movie comes in because you have Trevante Rhodes from Moonlight. 
Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele, Thomas fucking Jane, Augusto Aguilera, who isn't a big name, but for us, from Too Old to Die Young, and then what's his name? Alfie uh, Allen from Game Game of of Thrones. Thrones. And it's like, you can't believe in the middle of this is also, here's this dude from Logan, you know, that Boyd Holbrook was kind of known for at the time. And Gone Girl. And Gone Girl is the other one, is that then you go through this film and you get Olivia Munn, Sterling K. Brown, who's on, what, the biggest TV series at the time Mm -hmm. with uh, This Is Us. Um, But originally on Supernatural, one of our favorites. Exactly. As a great vampire hunter. So it's like, uh, and then you have Jake Busey comes in playing Key's uh, son from from Predator 2. He's just, he's trying, and Jacob Tremblay was also like kind of a big name because he'd already been in Room. Yeah. And like he was a big for like a child actor, mm-hmm. let's say. Wonder, so, like, I think, already. Yeah, and he'd, yeah. he'd assembled this whole crew of like pretty notable dudes um, and, and performers, but it just doesn't amount to a whole lot because like all the Looney Bin, the Looney Bin stuff... While I find it entertaining and funny, feels like somebody trying to do Shane Black as opposed to Shane Black writing a script. Because like Keegan-Michael Key is basically just doing Shane Black from Predator, where he's like, he's the guy who tells the jokes, you know? And then you have Thomas Jane has Tourette's, which is its own. Like like this movie, because that was the other thing, is apparently there was supposed to be some running commentary about mental illness and... and, uh, how people cope with that. Cause like Trevante Roach is like a suicide survivor. Um, that it, there was supposed to be some kind of underlying message about the whole thing when really it just comes off like a hodgepodge of kind of offensive Shane black character building traits. Yeah. The whole thing, it feels like a, a parody of, of Shane black and, and like what you're getting at where it's, it overstays welcome humor wise too. like these jokes that they, they yeah. it's like, dude, I get where you're going with man. And I get you guys are witty and you're snarky and some of it's like funny, but like when Olivia Munn joins into every character is the smartest person in the room. It's like, it's like when Sorkin goes a little too far. Right. And you're just like, all right, we got to calm down. Like, you know, maybe two shots of espresso next time. It's just really snap. Sorkin's case. Let's like only one rock of crack. I know I'm being, I'm being nice. Um, But, and I think, there's way too many from the beginning. There are like f- three or four narrative threads that come together for a bit. Um, then they separate again. Then it's qu- actually pretty similar to AVP Requiem where it's like a small town America, like the predator comes home kind of idea that we're, we're there's stuck. a whole set piece in a high school. Yeah. That's which kind of incomprehensible and not great. Yeah. It, the dog stuff, like there's more predator dogs, which is ties into Shane Black is a big advocate for pit bulls. Oh yeah. And they shoot one of the dogs in the head, lobotomize it accidentally. And now it's on their side. Yeah. I mean, but it also, it has a, like a similar problem to the new Jurassic Park movies where like they have forgotten that Jurassic Park is cool because it's like, Dinosaurs, scary. Humans, edible. Puny. Puny and edible. That's the story. Like, don't go further than that. And you get to, like, the last Jurassic Park, and it's like, there's clones. There's cloned humans. There's hybrids. There's, like, oh, we got to get the blood from this person and mix it with this. Like, what the fuck are you doing? This felt kind of like that, where it was overbaked, and there's just weight. There's, like, okay, again, a bigger assassin predator and who's 
then there's like a good a, kind of a nicer predator. But they're doing so, like genetic experiments too and trying to evolve. Like none of it makes and there's also like Area 51 stuff. Yeah. None of it makes any fucking sense whatsoever. The one shining beacon of hope I will give this movie, though, is Sterling K. Brown. Because Sterling K. Brown is just doing Craig Bierko from Long Kiss Goodnight. Like, he's, he knows the Shane Black henchman and that he knows that he's playing the Shane Black henchman and he's loving every fucking second of it because he finally gets to be... Because this is a guy who's mostly known for playing, like, very nice dads. Yeah. Lo- like, uh, loving... Uh, uncles, things like that. Like he's always like almost that rock that other characters lean on. He's really relishing kind of being just a shithead psycho in this. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. He, and then Thomas Jane um, and, and key are my two, right? Those, whenever they're on screen together, as ridiculous as it is, like their chemistry is kind of, you can't miss it. Like they're very fun together. Their death scene's so stupid, though. Oh, it's, it's and they dumb. give each other the thumbs up. Yeah, and they shoot each other. It's like a you know assisted suicide. But I really like. You could see that the buddy comedy thing that Black really excels at. Like the two of them is like, oh, I would totally watch. It's two, in there. Two guys who meet in a, at a military psych hospital, and no one believes that there's a predator out there, and then that's your movie. Like, I would watch that fucking movie. Almost like The Predator versus One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No, exactly. Like, I would watch that. I think if you boiled that down, like that movie, if you cut all the other shit away, cut the Area 51 stuff away, cut the Jacob Tremblay stuff away, honestly, cut the Boyd. I like Boyd Holbrook a whole lot. He's one of those guys that I feel like He's just solid. hasn't quite gotten that movie yet that's really catapulted him into, like, leading man man status. There's a werewolf film that we saw. The Cursed. At, yeah, that was called Eight for Silver Eight when for, we saw it oh, at Sundance. That's now the curse that he's really fucking good in. He's really great in Logan as the as the bad guy. Like, I just feel like he hasn't quite gotten that star-making role yet. But, like, cut him out, too, and just make it, like, Predator versus Looney Bin. That would be kind of fucking cool. Like, almost like if Predator were to stumble into, like, Dream Warriors territory. Oh, shit. I would totally watch that. You know? Yeah. Like, it's just... Or like shame. a suicide, suicide, suicide Squad mentality of, like, right. we're going to send the crazy group because no one's going to believe them anyway. Right. Well, because remember know? from the trailer, too, there was a whole thing that was kind of like a Suicide Squad thing because I believe that was the original focus of Black Script because there's a shot in the original trailer for the movie that's nowhere to be fucking found in the movie itself where Travante Rhodes is on the back, like a, a turret gun on a tank, like firing at a predator and stuff. And like that, that sequence isn't in this fucking movie. The one thing I will say is for all the stuff, all the praise that we just kind of heaped on Key and uh, Thomas Jane is I would be very, very happy if Travante Rhodes was somehow gifted an action movie career because mm. like he has the phys- like he certainly has the physique like he's a physical specimen he's handsome he's funny he's handsome he's funny he has a really great uh rapport with Boyd Holbrook in this movie like i i'd love to see him get his own kind of action thing going put him in a fucking John Wick movie man like just oh. give him a couple guns and have him fight Keanu well again their relationship when it boils down to two people like Black's so good at that, at these, like, male friendships. Yeah. These, like, male friendships under fire. Like, he's great at that. Of of just, like, the kind of 
not even homoerotic, but just the 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 kind of like bromantic ribbing. Yeah. That you give your guy friends. Well, like, it's he's dudes just, in a foxhole together. Yeah. That's what he excels at. And I mean, we haven't even mentioned the fact that this is his reunion with Fred Decker, who they were like early roommates yep. and writing partners together because they, they wrote a script that I would kill to see made still to this day uh, called Shadow Company, which was about like a, a zombie squad of like, I believe it was via. Vietnam POWs who come back and lay siege to like a small town and they have to like fight back against them. It was one of their early spec scripts. Like a first blood kind of exactly. Idea. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it was with Vietnam zombies. Oh, like real back. zombies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they're zombies. Like it's a supernatural thing. Oh, was that, did they write that before they wrote yeah, it's Monster in the Squad? Eight, it's in the 80s at some point. Because Monster um, Squad's 87 as well. Yeah, exactly. So like, but this is, because I know that they had a falling out mm. um, with their friendship and this was kind of their big, like, we're back, bro. You know, unfortunately it was for the Predator and it didn't, you know, set the world on fire. Yeah, I mean, you think about Monster Squad and I love, I, I, total nostalgia porn for me. I love that movie so much. Like, It's, it's a good fucking it, movie. It's, it's also 75 minutes long and just like kind of shoots like a bullet. And has incredible monster effects. Oh, amazing. Makeup. Stan Winston. Exactly. You know, the, the the werewolf is designed after Stan Winston. Yeah, it's so, really, really good. And our boy Tom Noonan is uh, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, it, the whole thing's great. But let's talk about the AVP movies for a second before we get into Predator 2 and then Prey. Um AVP movies, notoriously not good. Um, Paul W.S. Anderson does the first one. Not going to lie, I watched this yesterday or the day before. I found it, it was almost on mute for mm. most of the time because Carrie came in and out, but like I still knew what was going on. It was the first time I'd seen it since the I watched it in the theater for the movie theater that I worked in when I was in college and stuff. 18 years ago. Still, yeah. It was 18 years in between viewings, and let me tell you, there probably isn't going to be another viewing. I still find this movie incredibly janky, not very fun to sit through, kind of cheap looking. Like It looks like a sci-fi movie to a certain degree, and the only person who kind of knows what movie he's in is Lance Henriksen. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about that. I have more to say about Requiem than I have to say about this movie. So I saw this in the theater with my brother. Um, he was in school at Earlham and we we're like, cause we both grew up in predator and alien movies. Like oh, let's go together. And we both knew it was gonna be bad. Um, we did not have high hopes. Um, and we had, we, we basically, when we saw it the first time, all right, let's just like, let's just see what we can pull out of this. That's fun. And I think I text you. It reminds me a lot of like, of uh Freddie versus Jason, where it's like you had this yeah. really asinine human story that or almost like watching some of the the you know Godzilla versus movies where it's like how do we get these guys into the same room and also have some humans that kind of have agency and make it happen but also are just there to be you know uh collateral damage they're the um, sinew where like the predator and the aliens are the muscles like yeah it's and they're trying can- to tie it all together and it just you don't fucking care about any of it like I don't care about uh, what's his name? Charles Wayland and his oh, like yeah. quest to find the Aztec temple. Like the thing is, it doesn't like even the narrative that they, they thread that, that needle that they kind of thread with it is that you're like, who fucking gives a shit? Like, because 
this is dumbass Prometheus. Like it actually has a lot of the same beats that Prometheus does. It's just for like people who can't read. Like it really is fucking stupid. Well, so I think I texted you this, but it, for me, it's Cube meets Stargate meets Resident Evil. Yeah. So they had because Cube you had the moving the whole idea of this thing is moving every few minutes, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Stargate, and they kind of do the whole thing of like, oh, the reason we have pyramids and all that shit was these alien. Aliens came before yeah. it was the Predators, and then Resident Evil because it's Paul W. S. Anderson with the same plot line as Resident Evil, the first one, where or or Event Horizon, you have a derelict ship, a derelict building, or an underground hive with a group of a ragtag group of people who go in and shit goes bad. I mean, like that's the setup, and the fights between Predator and Alien are they're they're like wrestling match but not in a cool way. Like or again like Jason versus Freddy and Freddy you, you know you texted me something along the lines of like you're just waiting for the needle drop of let the bodies hit the floor <laughs> every time a, an, a xenomorph and a predator fights and it is dead on. Like all of their battles you're just kinda like uh, this looks, it just, it looks like somebody playing with two action figures and just banging them together. And you're like, I don't, you know, th this was a neat idea. At least Freddy versus Jason, which is by no means a good film at all. I'm sorry, Ronnie, you, wherever you are out there, I know you're listening to this, but and I apologize uh, the bride with white hair is a masterpiece, by the way. Uh, Formula 51 ain't bad either. <laughs> Let's not go that far. But um, I think you're apologizing to him. <laughs> Sorry, Ronnie. But uh, at least in those, like, again, there's a guy who understood that, like, if we're going to make this movie, we're going to make it pro wrestling. Because the last, like, 20 minutes of Freddy versus Jason are, like, you know, Freddy, like, doing elbow drops on Jason and Jason then, like, suplexing Freddy. And you're like, yeah, okay, cool. This is fine. Um, but, like... This movie doesn't even have that. Like, it's just kind of, I don't know. Nothing connects for me. There's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing like, it's all tantalizing, but like, there's no actual cathartic, like violence or payoff for me. No, I agree. It, it reminds me a lot of like, um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. It's the same thing where it's like really hackneyed, like the way they shove these two franchises together. You're like, it, I forget what the, the reason is. It's a huge stretch in that movie. Yeah. The same shit. We're like, wait, what? How are they both there? And well, it's like you, you knew you were in for a rough time with like Freddy versus Jason, where it opens with Freddy narrating it and basically telling you the whole reason why. And you're like, Ooh shit. We yeah, fucked this up. That's a rough one. Um, but definitely better than AVP. But I think a main problem with this one and Requiem as well is like you kind of said is it's like fan fiction, right? And not in the cool like omnibus way of like this could be part of the same collection, but more like it feels cheaper. Even at its like lowest points, the the four the quadrilogy of the Predator movies has like good direction and a little bit of class to it, especially the first yeah. two. And they feel like a nineties action film and the aliens films have had Ridley Scott work on them and James Cameron. And even though it has its big problems in it, fucking David Fincher, you know, and, uh, and then Ridley Scott again for the last two films, like there is a sense of gravitas and grandeur to these films. And like you said, this is like a sci-fi movie. It feels really fucking cheap. And Paul W. Anderson, like, I mean, event horizon is one of my favorite movies, hands down. Besides that, he's made some really bad shit. Like I he, like soldier. 
I do like Soldier. That one's pretty fun. Like but I'm not. I'm not contradicting you. I think Paul W. S. Anderson is bad too. Like he's really bad. Like I don't like the Resident Evil movies. I know they have their defenders, and they're really his bread and butter because they're the movies that like keep making money yeah. and allow him to have a career. But yeah, but even then, like, didn't Russell Mulcahy take over like he, a directorial? He, he, he did the third one. He only did one of them. Yeah, so I Paul thought w. he did more than one for some reason. Paul W. S. did one. Someone else did two. Mulcahy did three. I don't know. I'm sorry I know this. And then he did the last, like, four, five, six. And then then Anderson just comes back and just keeps shitting them out. And they keep making money, though, because he, you you get why he has a career, because he he almost comes from, like, a modern version of the Corman school of, like... Keep the cost low. Keep the cost low. Turn it in on time. Here's your movie star with Mila Jovovich. And, like, you get a couple cool monsters that we can get on the cheap. But then do 3D for the fourth one. Yeah, there's like they're 90 minutes or whatever, and that's it. Like you just give the cheap, you deliver the cheap thrill, and then you move on to the next thing. Yep. And this is, you know, watching it again, it's rough. I mean, like I can, I can kind of trip through it and enjoy it. But um, getting to Requiem, um, we had differing thoughts on this, and I guess let's just get the elephant in the room out of the way. Shout out Leo O'Donnell, who I believe this was his first VFX job. It's one of his earliest VFX jobs that he worked on. When we were talking, it makes sense because these guys went, the, the Strauss brothers went on to make, Brother Strauss, that's lame, went on to make Skyline. Right. Um, which then, you know, uh, O'Donnell, O'Donnell did a much better job with that series than the creators did. He's a much better filmmaker. Yeah, O'Donnell um, hijacked that series, made it his own, and he is gets now it. like one of the best DTV filmmakers working. Yeah, and he understands. He knew the he knew the franchise better than they did. Um, but this movie feels like a CW pilot. I think he's or a sci-fi pilot. This is um, Predator versus Northern Exposure. Yeah, and it, and it definitely feels Canadian. A lot of the actors are Canadian actors that you see pop up on Supernatural, on Smallville, all the CW Robert shit. Joy shows up randomly in the back half. Fucking Cricket from oh, Always yeah, Sunny. Cricket. Um, as an asshole uh, manager at a pizza joint. There's, again, very CW. Two brothers with, like, one's kind of a criminal coming back to town. One is on his way to becoming a criminal. Um, then you have, like, a woman... Just back, uh, so helicopter probably came back from Iraq, I think, or overseas, um, reconnecting with her daughter, um, other small side characters. It feels like the blob to me, as the plotting of like Chuck of Russell's The Blob, the remake. It, honest to God, for me, I, I think watching it in connection to Prey is funny and ironic in a way because Prey. Is a it's a movie. It's a full throated cinematic experience that is going to Hulu, where this was released in theaters, and it straight up feels like the pilot for like a lost TV series. Like this almost feels like they were like, "What if Friday Night Lights, but with predators? What if you know the OC, but with predators? Like if this sh- like series." showed up on Netflix and there were 10 more of them after this, like it wouldn't surprise me because like you said, like it's introducing all of these different human characters who all have very clearly defined goals, like things that almost feel like the beginning of narrative arcs that we would experience over 10 episodes. They just happen to tangle with predators in between or like a walking dead setup. No, no, exactly. You start off, you start off pre monster. Here's these people. And then, the catalyst comes and throws everything to disarray and right. see, see who people really are under pressure. And one of my biggest gripes, and I know that you were 
disagreeing with this off mic, but like, so with me, all my lights off on my 4K TV, a lot of the complaints for this film is it's too dark. And um, which it is. And, and I think you and I are in agreement. I really get mad when, um, people were like, oh, that film was too dark. And it's like, no, it just has contrast. Like, you don't need it to all be lit like a fucking Marvel movie. Like, you know, Civil War, where you can see everything in the frame. Or you saw it projected poorly, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but there's a review that I I wrote down that was from Slate Magazine. So I was like, I wonder if this is at review-wise. And um, he says, Aliens versus Predator Requiem is literally shrouded in darkness. And the only explicable reason for the pitch black visual schema is that the filmmakers understood it was better if no one could see the shit they were shooting. Um, Nick, <laughs> oh Nick Shager God. of Slant Magazine. That's a real review. And I think it's a little bit mean because I think like the setup is, again, the blob, 80s monster movie, um, or just the 50s monster movie of just like the, you know, the comet hits. You know the people, the, the the dad and the son go to investigate. They're the first ones infected by the monster. The aliens pop out. If you've never seen the alien movie before, it actually tells the story quite quite clearly of like the the bi- the biology of how yeah. these things are made. And then oh, here's the monster there to hunt him. There's the story. It actually would kind of work if you'd never seen one before. Like if this is an '80s movie or a '90s film, I'd never seen Alien or Predator. I'm like oh, it's kind of a cool idea of this war, this like galactic war that th- falls into a small town, but. It's it feels pretty cheap as well. Well, the one thing I do like about it is that it leans into being very cheap exploitation too. Like yeah. it's very splattery. Well, it's rated R. Well, the first AP is PG thirteen. Exactly. It's a return to gore. This one also has like a lot of anger towards pregnant women. Um, there's multiple pregnant women who are maimed by this preda alien hybrid thing that comes in. One is full on face fucked by it and then impregnated. And then the, the little predator alien babies pop out of her pregnancy, like literally make it burst Yep. like a, like a, a pimple. And then they come out like baby birds, like in this dead pregnant woman's stomach. I was like, Jesus Christ, this movie's gross. But the other person that this honestly reminds me of is Dan O'Bannon because mm. this feels kind of like Return of the yeah, Living that's Dead good point. with predators in it and aliens in it too. Because like it even swipes the whole like what if we nuked the town kind oh, of finale. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah, like Robert Joy is straight up playing a, a Dan O'Bannon like military behind the scenes kind of like Wizard of Oz character. You know, like it, that was the only thing that that's the thing that I will defend this movie with and actually liked it more than Paul W.S. Anderson's Predator or Alien versus Predator is because you could at least see the Strauss brothers being like, this is trashy fun. Like we're not f- taking this fucking seriously. There's even some Chud references. Where oh, these, very Chud. They're killing people and like the homeless people in the sewers and stuff at first, and like it just feels like a movie, made a monster movie made by people who were raised on '80s monster movies, like we were, like Chuck Russell's The Blob, like Chud, like all these very gross. Clive Barker style kind of creature features. And I appreciate that to one degree or another. As for the darkness, I agree. 
I don't understand why is the same thing with like something like Pacific Rim to where like I don't understand why why Guillermo del Toro shot all of the the kaiju battles in like rainstorms or or underwater stuff where it was kind of harder to see, especially when you had those 3D glasses on and stuff. Oh shit, yeah. Um, but like, and they do a lot of the same thing with this movie is that there are a lot of very murky, dark set pieces set in the rain, set in sewers, set in dark gymnasiums for whatever fucking reason. I don't find it as hard to make stuff out. But, like, I get the complaint. I just didn't have the same struggle. Because I put something along the line on Twitter of being like, you know what? Hot take. I like AVP Requiem way more than AVP. They're like, yeah, we would agree with you if we could fucking see it. I had, like, seven people respond that way. And I'm just like, well, obviously, I'm in an outlier. And I could, I, it didn't bother me as much as you guys. But, like, it, it's not well made, we'll say. It, that's the thing is while... You know, Del Toro for Pacific Rim, I think, was definitely that era of, like, um, Edward's uh, Godzilla. Right. Where it was, like, it makes it look more realistic versus having a monster just out in the middle of a, a field in, cle- you know, in clear HD. It's like, oh, it makes it look more real with all the kind of uh, atmosphere in front of it. But you can go too far with that, uh, which I think there are parts of, AVP, of Pacific Rim that do that. Where I'm like, I don't know what's going on, like... Well, at least with Guillermo del Toro, though, you kind of get, because I've heard him talk about it and stuff, is that he was trying to add texture and right. scale and scope. Scale and for sure, yeah. So, like, you understand it. With this movie, I think the Strauss brothers just shot it in darkness because they didn't have any money. And it was like a way to actually mask, and they were trying to pull almost like a Jaws thing, mm. to where it's like the less you see, maybe the better, only it ends up backfiring because you can't see fucking shit. <laughs> well, you know, money for the the monsters, but also maybe the sets. Yeah, you know yeah what I mean? exactly. Is you don't need to see back. Oh, we didn't have another flat back there, or whatever. Like, or we were reusing sets, so it was easier for just for us to just shoot it in low light, so that you didn't notice. Yes, exactly. But Predator Two. Oh, baby, this is one of the great feel bad sequels of all time, and comes out it right in the same time time period as Die Hard 2 and RoboCop 2, which I, I believe it's spiritually connected to both of those because they all sort of revolve around drugs in one way or another, where RoboCop 2 is about nuke invading the streets. Uh, Die Hard 2 sees kind of like the, the military and a, a staging a uh, hijacking or a terrorist attack to uh, free a... Uh, drug lord dictator who's played by the great Franco Nero. And then Predator 2 is like, it almost connects to Predator 1 to where like in Predator, you have, you know, these commandos mission is to really go down and kind of get into like a Contra type battle with the drug producers in South America. So like it connects to the politics and the beginnings of the war on drugs at the time. And then predator two is almost like, okay, well the drugs start in the jungle and then the drugs end up on the streets of LA. And because they basically pass hands with some of the most dangerous people on the planet. That's what the predator is following. It's almost like the predator is following the drugs because the best big game are the ones dealing them. Yeah. It's, um, 
they, they say, I think, uh, in the first one, but also in Predators and other films, where it's like, it goes where the conflict, it, where it's hot, right. where there's conflict. And the idea is that with both films, wherever there's drugs, there's fighting. You know, there's a lot of guns, and why wouldn't he go there? And there's a reason we call it the war on drugs. Yes. And and again, there's this is, you know, made comes out in 90, but it, it takes place in 97. So it's the near future, and it's, it's saying, this is where L.A. is on its way to becoming. Right. right. That this is, it's already parts that were a war zone and like Robocop two or demolition man. Or, so yeah. Demolition man. The whole opening is it's also 97. Um, mm-hmm. it takes place in 97 of, you know, it's going to be these comic booky gangs and all out war. And the cops are basically going to have pea shooters, you know, shooting at these well armed drugged up militias, militias almost. full on. And just saying like, and, and, and similar to Robocop where it's kind of like, in the first one, but also the second one where it used to be in the past, a cop could walk up and say freeze crook. And then in those movies, it's like, fuck you copper. And they just shoot him right in the head and there's no repercussions. You know, it's like that kind of feel of it's a war out there. You need a tough as nails cop like Harrigan. Um, Danny Glover playing the angriest, sweatiest police officer in the history of both anger and sweat and police officers. Yeah, if you thought he was too old for this shit and lethal weapon, he's a grandpa now. He is so done. He's so angry. He's so... But he... What a... what? I remember this first... When I first saw it, I was like... As a kid, I'm like, oh, wait, it's not Arnold? And I was like... And then even from a kid, I was like, oh, I love this. He's such a great character. What a cool way to not do another, like, just beefy muscle bound guy. Cause while, while, you know, Danny Glover's in very good shape, it is a different kind of character, you know, he's Murtaugh. like he is yeah. doing Murtaugh. This is basically a lost or, or like a backdoor lethal weapon sequel. Yeah. Only there's no rigs. There's just predators now. And Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton at one of his most Paxtonist role of like roles of all time. Yeah. And you're pulling in like all the heavy hitters, like from that era, like Ruben Blades. Maria uh, Kachita Alonza, um, Bill Paxton, Busey, even Adam Baldwin. I mean, all these. Oh, that's right. Adam Baldwin. And he's pretty good in this. He's great, you know. And Animal Mother. I always think of him also. I loved um, My Bodyguard. Oh, yeah, Chris yeah, yeah. Great. I used to love the movie as a kid. Um, but I think, you know, you have that and you have a really up and coming filmmaker um, who I've wanted to do your boy, my boy, Stephen Hopkins from Australia um, who before this had done um, dream uh, dream child, child part five. Um, and before that uh, dangerous game in um, Australia, which is kind of a slasher about a cop picking off teens. Oh, I've never seen it. Okay. Is it good? It's great. Uh, and it, and it shot. So, my boy Hopkins loves wide angle lenses, loves them. So you look at one of his movies and you can tell it right away. Like you watch these films in the nineties specifically. You're like, he's basically the same cinematographer. I'm forgetting his name in every movie. So it has a very specific look. Mm. And you look at predator two and like take a frame from that and judgment night. They're the same. I mean, the view of the city is identical. The way he shoots buildings, the way he has people up on the side of buildings, all the angles are pretty much identical. Um, but I think it's dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous game or sorry, Deadly Game, um, is a bunch of, not even like really punk kids, they're just like normal teenagers who are kind of on the line between doing illegal shit and not, but it's all like, they break in places, they fuck around, but they find a way to break into um, an old department store, like a Sears, like a three, four story old department store, and like, I think it's in Sydney. 
and their enemy is this cop who's always fucking with them on the street and kind of like trying to arrest them. And they go too far, and I think they almost get him fired for being going over overboard. He finds that they're going to be breaking in. He's not a cop anymore. He's got a fucking crossbow, and he's picking them off one by one. Oh, and, and it's it, called Deadly Game. I think it's. Let me just double check. Um, because I'm gonna get mad that I didn't get this right. Because I love this movie. I have it. Uh, there was like a, a a really crappy DVD that I got. Um, uh, sorry, Dangerous Game. Dangerous Game. Okay, so um, it is dangerous. It is dangerous game. game. So, but this guy kind of owned. Well, he owned the '90s, but he made some some bangers. I mean, so he does Nightmare on Elm Street five, then this, then Judgment Night, then Blown Away, then Ghost in the Darkness. Um, oh, Ghost in the Darkness is so good. And Ghost in the Darkness is another secret handshake from my brother and me. We saw it together for the first time. Amazing. William Goldman wrote the script, mm-hmm. so it's pretty fucking phenomenal. And he, I think that his his like visual style adds a lot to Predator Two, like. McTiernan, like you can see his kind of style in the first one. Like you said, the workman style where he kind of brings his own voice. This one, wide angle, a lot of steady cam, a lot of running down hallways of steady cam, a lot of long takes. The last 40 minutes is essentially one long chase. Absolutely. Different environments. It's crazy. And he loves his sepia tones. I mean, he goes all the way with the hot and sweaty LA, you know, and, and the grit and the makeup and like everyone is just like soaked through their fucking clothes. It's like a Frank Miller, like hellscape. Right. And, and you, we were texting about that, you know, Miller wrote RoboCop two and also wrote stuff. He wrote, you know, dark Knight returns and kind of had created, I mean, this comic book idea of the war on drugs and like where the urban setting is going. And as years have gone by, Frank Miller was not being ironic. He is quite right wing. Um, in, yeah. in his leanings, he's like, Oh no, I was just being serious. Like 300 is not, ironic. this is what I actually believe. I mean, I want the world to be like 300 where it's men and muscle and, and justice. He's and- very Milius esque. Exactly. You know, they Milius could have made 300. Like they, right. they are so of a, of a mind. I never thought of that, but exactly where it's like the kind of charming Republican buddy you have until it's not charming. You're like, Oh, you're actually a fucking fascist. Maybe. Um, well, Miller's Miller's almost like the, uh, uncharming version of John Milius. Where like John Milius was always known for being this big burly storyteller who could like take over an entire room and, and like just ensorcel women with his stories and like men. He was one of the ultimate like man's men. Like, you know, women wanted to be with him and men wanted to be him type. Like he, that he became like a legendary yeah. kind of figure. In the, the Walter Sobchak. In the, in the <laughs> no Hollywood, or the new Hollywood era. Frank Miller was the drunk, ugly version of that looked like a troll didn't have any personality like nobody wanted to hang out with him he, like he was unpleasant and like the the comic books were like his way to kind of channel that that id and that that worldview that he had because like he was a drunk too like he's just not he was a kind of a disease of a person I still you what, is we'll tell you when i met him no yeah i was um it was the weekend that Sin City came out, and I was in New York City. I was in Times Square with, with a school trip, and I said, no matter what happens this weekend, I'm going to see fucking Sin City in Times right. Square. I was pumped, and I was already a huge fan of his, um, and I'm standing in front of the Lowe's in Times Square, and that's when they still had the like manual sign out front. They had put the, the little the little uh, letters mm-hmm. to say what was playing that night. And I was with a, I was with some friends, and I like looked to my left, and fucking Frank Miller standing next to me, like clear as day, it was I think with his wife, 
Um, and I'm trying to play it cool. You can't play it cool. Frank Miller's a fucking weird guy. And this is like in his skinny days too, after he'd lost a lot of weight and looked like even more goblin-y. Yeah. Um, and I turned to him and I was like, hey man, I'm uh, seeing your movie tonight. Like, and he's like, mm, 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 mm. like he's wilting. And, and I, then I turn Human interaction. and he's like five, one, I'm six, seven. So I turn, and I'm not trying to be aggressive. And I was like, Hey, I'm Martin. I shove my hand out and he just like limp wrist handshakes me. And I was like, I was going to say, I'm a huge fan. Like, uh, Batman year one, like changed my life. And he just like runs away. <laughs> he just Fuck you, kid. He just sprints away. And I was like. It was pretty crazy, but he was, I mean, he was nice, but it was like, I obviously, he did not plan on having that interaction. And that was before, that was before Sin City. So I think a lot of the public didn't know what he looked like. Like comic nerds knew he looked like, but he had not been in interviews yet with Robert Rodriguez or out talking about 300. Like no one, he expects to not be a face you see on the street. But, but you're right. I mean, like he's like the geek boy, Jim Thompson. They look very similar. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have this comic booky world of Uber violence and you just happen to drop a predator in, you know, and right. it's such a, it's a much more uh, complicated narrative than predator one. Um, in that, I mean, predator one is literally, is it? I, I don't know. I think so. Just from the fact that predator one is a simple survival tale of like one group of people being picked off by predator. That's it. Right. With Predator 2, you have warring factions with their leaders. Um, you have you mean kid, the drug leaders, the drug leaders. You have you have the whole drama separately of the cops and him being in trouble. You have keys in his paramil his like um, secret society group of, you know, that's been studying aliens or studying predators. Yeah. Morton Downey Jr. Yeah. You have has you a ha- hard copy style reporter. Yep. And then you have like it's all of a piece. Yeah, but it but it, it still feels streamlined. But it, it definitely, um, I think it moves well. It's kind of that perfect again, like Saturday afternoon movie. That's how I describe. It. I think Predator Two even more than one is like, it just you you fall into this world. A lot of it takes place during the daytime too. It has that L.A. daytime like speed feel. That amazing opening set piece where he literally drives a car through like a it's, barricade to get into like the middle of this gigantic drug war shootout. Which also like these. Uh, drug dealers feel almost like the same Rastafarian maniacs from Steven Seagal's March for Death. Like they're not too far off from it. Well, and and again, to our discussion earlier is that there's really no interest. I mean, this is 1990, but it's not trying to give a nuanced view whatsoever of any ethnic group. These dudes are guys in hammer pants with machine guns, like yelling and gold. Yeah. Like indecipherable accents at one another and slinging cocaine. That's it. That's there's no humanizing them. Yeah. And the whole scene where I think it's Scorpio is the leader of the Hispanic gang and he like full on Tony Montana, like just a giant mound of cocaine. Yeah. He goes, Come on, Scorpio is ready. The whole thing is like, oh my god! And then like King Willie, like you said, like I don't know what he's saying. Yeah, like he's like, oh, they come from the other world, man. And I know that actor. Now he's not. No, <laughs> he's not Jamaican or Haitian. He's just doing a really shitty accent, and it's full. Sir, on. that's not how you talk. I don't think that is. But there's something I do want to talk about while we're on this movie is the the Sylvester score, and so we haven't oh, mentioned it's so yet. good. And it's funny. It's like Halloween level of important to 
the this series because like especially with Predators, they just fall and use the exact same score from the original. Yeah. They don't even hide it. And Prey is the first one that actually has a totally different feel in terms of even like the 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 sonic texture of it. Yes. Like it reuses little bits of it, but it sounds almost more like a Michael G- uh, Giacchino score. Right. I mean, more of a modern score. Yeah, exactly. You know? And Sylvester is, you know, the word I'd use for him and everything is bombastic, you know? Oh, yeah. And you think of the a first lot of percussion. one. A lot of percussion, but like, there's scenes where nothing's happening and it's like an action scene. And they're just fucking walking. And it keeps, it really works the first one and it works in the second one really well too. He reminds me of, uh, with, with this predator stuff is Morricone. A lot of the time is that especially Morricone's uh, untouchable score. Yeah. Also um, from 87 percussive. Um, Yeah. Very percussive, very driving, but also very like, Action when no action is happening. Yeah, and just weird. Yeah. I mean, because, like, you think a about... A lot of texture. Because Sylvester wrote one of, other, one of my other favorite scores of all time is Back to the Future. But that, the action stuff, only kind of comes out when it's needed. The rest is more kind of Amblin, like, John Williams-y. You oh, yeah. Know, where it's it's kind of like the dreamy sense of it, and the, and the action's action. But Predator is just like, it never fucking lets up. I mean, it's an oppressive, you know. Um, it's awesome. Don't, 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 and like it's just you can't separate it. Um, so, but I, you know, I think about Halloween and Halloween has the score where it's mostly just like the score, and you put it back to be like wink, wink. They just full on use the whole like, especially because this is the same score from the first one. Let's just do it again, and he adds some stuff, some more percussion here and there. But um, I just think he he's the one kind of through line with Stan Winston or the design of the Predator that continues. That kind of sets the tone for all these movies. Sure. The other one I want to get to before we do Prey is Predator 2 has one of the, the uh, let's say, stalwart sequences from this series in the, the self-operating medic scene. Yes. There's almost always a scene where either a Predator or a human, it's usually a Predator, operates on themselves after like a a very grave injury. This has the best one where, where a predator trashes a fucking like LA bathroom while after his arm is like cut off at the wrist and like sears the wound creates his own like, I don't even know what you say. Like, like caulk. It's like, it's like, it's like, like a jelly caulk. He melts down the ceramic. Yeah. To like, to make like, it. like just put on all of his like wounds that he's, he's been, uh, he sustained because of Harrigan, but man, it's so fucking cool. And then he screams and it cuts. It's one of my favorite cuts in the whole movie is then it cuts into the apartment of the old people yes. whose bathroom he's in. And they're just creeping around the corner, almost like what the fuck is going on in our bathroom? And then he just storms through that apartment. There are, uh, it's, it's such a goofy, ridiculous gag, but man, I love it so much. I think the woman is, um, I'm double checking right now on the internets. Um, I'm, I was wrong. I thought she was Eric's mom from uh, or from uh, Tim and Eric's movie, uh, billion dollar movie, but she's not. No, she's not. But she has that very much like she's the Jewish uh, grandmother sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, Ted. There's something in the bathroom, and it's you know, the, and then the final sequence too. And this is what's cool. It is the ending sets a um, something you see in the future films is the predators aren't evil that you have he once he defeats the the predator the main predator of the film 
out of and then badass these all these different designs. Like it looks like they had like six or seven. Oh yeah, uh, and they all come out of the their you know invisible cloaks um, on the ship, and they are basically giving respect to Danny Glover. It's like you won, and so they give him you know they give him this gun, which will come back in our discussion of prey from the 1700s. Kind of like you won, you get to live. Um, and you see that in the Batman versus Predator comic book as well. You see in these other films too, where they have a sense of honor. You know, the aliens are, are full on like, which is the part that doesn't make sense with the later entries though, too, oh, yeah. is because like you have the whole super predator thing and the predator and then in predators, the two, the two different casts of predators, like, yeah, do you don't only need it. one of the casts have honor. Like it's, see, I, I it's weird. It's like, it, it feels like this is a, a thing that's introduced like a code of ethics among predators. Let's say that's abandoned in later movies to where it's just like predators will just fuck you up, man. Don't meet a predator. It'll kill you. Yeah. I, I prefer the honor thing. I think it's kind of cool to separate oh, them yeah. from, from aliens, but you have, that, I think that's what makes the later movies confusing is they kind of betray the character somewhat. It's overcomplicated. Yeah, it's exactly. unnecessary. You want to get to prey? Yes, sir. All right. Stopping what can't be stopped. No killing what can't be There's something out there waiting for us. You can run, but you can't hide from the west side. Night stalker, shit talker, run and tell them, Mr. LM, nigga with the gat, and I'm back off the everyday prey that I slay. South Central, monkey wrench, ho shit, know that She'll get the boat sack, cause I'm not starving But fuck that, Johnny Carson, ho Never had me on a late night show Coming with the shit that'll hit Steady mama, cause the flavor's good There goes the neighborhood, nigga with the third album How come he don't fall off? Rolling with the sword off gauge Turn the page of the chapter Caught up in a rapture But you know Anita, she can get the Peter Eat him up, yum, and your Ford, motherfucker Predator movies, and now we're going to transition into Prey, the latest release from Dan Trachtenberg that's going straight to Hulu. Martin, your first impression of Prey. We already kind of spoiled it, but just go into it. My first impression, I wish I could see it in the theater. That's Really? Yeah. Okay. That's my first impression. Um, it, was, it does look incredible. It's gorgeous. It's it While it's streamlined, it, the, it's big. It doesn't feel like a, a Hulu movie or a Netflix movie. Um, no, it does not. It's, I was so pleased and I, we've talked before. I like Trachtenberg. I like the stuff he's done for TV and I really, I really like 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, I think he's good at doing like kind of simple narratives. Um, and he really shows himself to be an adept action director. 
Yeah. In this, like there's some really, we were talking about the murkiness of AVP Requiem and this is quite the opposite. I mean, these are well put together action horror clearly shot clearly defined clear beats too yeah you know like you know of like oh this is when he uses this weapon for this reason it's action is storytelling well it also does the thing where it introduces weapons kind of like the original and uses them to define like characters like our main character you know has a, a tomahawk that has a, a rope attached to it so that she can essentially use it as a uh, kind of like boomerang yeah, tomahawk. It's it fucking back. awesome. And she gets made fun of it by the other uh, Native American warriors saying like, oh, what do you need a weapon with a, a leash on it, essentially? But you realize in one amazing set piece that she can wield that thing like no other. It's, we were talking earlier, like it really sets her up as like very capable, but has she has a rough start, you know, of like mm-hmm. she's trying to prove that um, she's a hunter like her brother. And her brother is like the, um, cause they're, they're Comanche and her brother is like made the, I'm not sure the name, but the most important member of the tribe. He's, he's not the chief, but it's like, Hey, you're the main hunter. Like he, he comes back with all the, he um, comes back with food. He comes back with the skins that they can make uh, clothing out of. Like he's the provider for the village. He's yeah. the one, he's almost like their LeBron. Yeah. He's their hero. I mean, yeah. and, and she, they're actually a very nice relationship or they could have easily written it. Like he's an asshole, but like, no, like he's trying to help her along to they get, they feel like a brother and sister. Like they're really great together. Yeah. And like, he's in her corner. Cause like all the other guys are assholes, I mean, especially the other men in the tribe. Like, you know, you, you can't do it. Almost has that like Mulan kind of narrative of like, she's not going to hide as a boy, but it's a whole thing. I want to do what everyone else can do, but they don't go too far with it. It's trying like, to do like a sort of feminist thing of like, I want to be, cause she even vocalizes it at one point. And it's the only part where I kind of cringed early on where I was like, ah, oh, shit, is this where we're going with this to where like the mother is like, not, not all animals who are smart are easy to train because the, you know she has a great dog and everything and talks about how smart it is and um but they her mom even asks at one point like why do you want to do this why do you want to be a hunter and her response is because everybody says that I can't and I'm like oh god okay are we doing this but like quickly that's abandoned in that it's just it's not only that she wants to be a hunter, she just wants to be a badass and the movie lets her be a badass. And that's when it kind of like shakes all of that off is that it's not only just because she's a girl, it's just because she wants to fucking rule over everybody else. Like she wants to be fucking cool. Well, and it brings back the element of the original of everyone's like an action figure. Like even yeah. this way that they paint these people's faces in different ways to like to, to make them stand out. The weapons they use, everyone is very individualized. Her brother's great with a bow. Yeah. Everyone has their weapon. Then you bring in the French trappers and they all have like their specific and their specific weapons. And I think what's really cool too is like, again, goes very, goes more comic booky and less realistic where like the main worst trapper, the meanest fattest guy has this like behemoth of a gun that looks like, a, like a, a kid drew what he thinks a musket looks like in a cool way. Yeah, it's everything seventeen like hundreds bazooka. Yeah, and everything is like uh, exaggerated on it from like the trigger guard to everything. The barrel it looks like it could shoot. Yeah, like a fucking rock out of it, no problem. And everything feels 
like it's okay. It's going for realism and pared down, but never forgets it's a comic book type movie or comic book like narrative. This feels like a '90s dark horse comic. Exactly. Like that's what they bring it a back one-off. to, to where it's almost like like I made that uh, kind of comparison online, and my buddy Phil Nobile from Fangoria chimed in to where he was like, "I got comic book vibes too from the the dark horse '90s stuff," and he sent me a picture of like. Planet of the Apes versus Alien Nation. Like, that's the sort of, like, one-off runs that this feels like. It's almost like, again, it gets back to the clean elevator pitch of Predator versus X, or drop Predator into scenario, and it becomes a Predator film. And, like, that's all it tries to do. And, like, the messaging and the representation and all that, like, that's awesome, but it never supersedes the fact that this is a Predator movie and what makes Predator movies awesome is that people get fucked up. And in this movie, lots of people get decapitated, dismembered, disemboweled. The Predator fucking cold cocks a straight-up grizzly bear. Like, this movie just rules from front to back and really when it starts cooking, it just, like, turns the gas burner up to 10 and is like, there you go. The water's boiling now and you're going to burn yourself. I agree. I mean, again, I'm fucking hooping and hollering, man. Like I'm jumping off your couch, losing my goddamn mind because like you're saying, he also has this like new slew of weapons. Like he has Mm -hmm. this like pop out shield, um, instead of a laser blaster on his shoulder, he has a, like a magnetic, um, arrow launcher on his wrists that is, controlled by the lasers on that point from his um they're the laser sighted they're almost like laser guided air yeah from his uh his helmet right um it's the triangle like sight thing that he uses in all of the uh other predator films but he uses it for arrows because you pointed something out now i was quite drunk when we watched this the first time i didn't notice and i (laughs) did shut up i uh, and i disagreed with you that night but i think this was the the uh, mountain or gallon of Weller that I consumed that night talking is that you were like, Oh, the predator even has like a skull mask. I think he's supposed to be more like primitive. Like, and I was like, nah, no, nah. it's just, they thought it looked cool, man. But then watching it again today before we recorded, I was like, ah, eh, Martin's actually right. Like they don't not only change the mask back to a more primitive early like style, because like, this is supposed to be, it's like, an animal shell. First. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, it's supposed to be the first predator. Like this the first, is the first to come predator to, Earth. to come to Earth. Correct. That's their whole pitch. Like that's and because they even use it in the marketing, like go back to the first hunt or whatever. But like even the weapons that the predator uses this time, it's a lot of like arrows, knives. Like he almost again and gets it back to the idea of like the ethical predator. Let's say of like. I'm not going to use a laser blaster against these people who only have spears and bows and arrows and shit. We're going to fight. With the, yeah. Cause it's unfair. We're going to fight with the same technology against one another. And it just makes for a more thrilling movie because the predator is using these fucking like arrows that are just straight up like skewering people. And it's again, you were saying earlier, one of the other movies, but like Trachtenberg, like the set pieces are all so well-defined and like they, keep going upping themselves and her ingenuity too. like the best set piece in this doesn't even involve a predator too. Which one is it? It's the one. So you have again, sort of like predator Two. Once this gets cooking and takes off, it almost becomes a chase film for just 
like half of its runtime. Yeah. So you have the whole sequence where they finally, because the other thing that it does really, really well is that like for 20 to 30 minutes, let's say it's all about her vision quest. Like she's trying to become the next hunter and prove herself. And she kind of fucks up. Like she, she gets fucked up by a bobcat or like a mountain lion at one point in a tree. Um, She encounters a bear and then the predator fucks a bear up. And like, then the movie just becomes her versus predator. And the predator, you realize she trades in mountain lion and bear for like the things that she's going to hunt, that she ends up hunting the predator. But then that just becomes like a full on chase movie for like the next like 50 to 55 minutes, let's say. Um, But like there's a whole there's a whole sequence in like the ashen forest to where you're in that forest where it feels like it's like post fire or something and like ashes are floating through and then like all the trees are like missing leaves and stuff and it's like the trappers are trying to use her and her brother they tie her to a tree after they kidnap them and then the predator they're using them for prey or, or bait for the predator to come in and and so they can trap it after that goes horribly wrong and the predator just fucking mauls all of these French dudes. The sequence where she goes and, and basically oh. invades their little trapper camp and just wipes them all out. That's my favorite set piece because he does Trachtenberg shoots it in almost one continuous handheld take that feels straight up out of like a John wick movie. It's so fucking good. Yeah. This, I, he knows and the tone is so perfect too, because it's like you have the feelings, of the original predator. It also is, it's bringing in what we expect from new exciting action movies. But one of the things you and I both love about John wick, I know is that it's not dumb, ridiculous CGI and overcomplicated narratives. It's, it's the cleanliness of action, like clarity of action. It's back to like Hong Kong eighties action filmmaking or John Woo and all those guys. So you mix that with making the predator scary again. Like it's you, you confuse, you confuse the, the issue with end of predators. And then with, um, the predator is like, wait, so it's a good predator. It's a bad predator. Um, also like, that person totally just like murked that predator with no problem. It's like, yeah, and it's this predator gets shot in the head like four times. Yeah, and it's like, give me one badass predator. It's it, again, it's like the further the alien films go on, it's right. the same thing versus like, like, well, I love aliens, but like, Alien One is like one fucking alien's terrifying. That's all you need, you know. And this has more of that, like, this guy's unstoppable. I love the, I mean, just from a nerdy again, the lizard brain lover of the series since I was fucking six is just all the, the new things they add to like the predator. I wouldn't say mythos, but just like his design. Like I just love the bone mask with the mandibles. Cause usually the mandibles are covered, but they actually can reach down around the mask. So they're always the out. pussy face on this one is much different. It's, it's a different kind of different design. He looks it's a young. wider pussy. He looks younger too. Yeah. Um, and like yeah, you're gauging the predator's age now. He looked younger. He's well, in his twenties. He's not forty four. Well, they're supposed to be like teenagers. That's what I believe because it's like their vision quest. Is I think like this. This vibe I got is that he's on the same mission she's on. Is the kind of vibe I get from yeah, this beca- film. Yeah, they're- because he even has that weird sequence where the predator just fucks a wolf up. Like it almost feels like the predator just fucking around and kind of like proving his own metal to himself. Yeah, I mean, he kills. He just decides to kill that snake. Yeah. and skin it. You know. Um, but like he, it's, it's that perfect 
mix of horror and action that the first Predator got so right. I mean, it is like, and, and the second one too, of just like a really scary, unstoppable monster and a really fun main hero to root for mm-hmm. who can really kick ass. And they, who can, again, I think you're, you're so right about the scene where she takes out the trappers at their camp because it's like Dutch in the beginning of Predator. It's like, this is a very capable warrior besides the Predator being here. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, when they finally show down, this is going to be good. Well, and I think that's what her arc actually ends up being without anybody actually saying that. Um, it This is an incredible work of visual storytelling. Yeah. Like just as a whole. Um, but like... It's about a girl who wants to be a hunter, but she ends up becoming a warrior instead. Uh, and I think that's pretty fucking cool uh, by the end of the movie. The, the only question I do have for you on this one, is this the most athletic predator of all of them? And the reason I ask that is because it seems to be certainly the fastest mm-hmm. because there's that entire sequence where it's it still has its invisibility cloak on and it chases her and one of the other warriors down through that field. That thing is booking, man. And it's moving in a way that like there are foot chases in Predator 2 where like Danny Glover and this predator are like kind of neck and neck. Like he, he can keep up with it, like climbing on rooftops and shit like that. Like this predator is straight up like an Olympic gold medalist in, in prey. Yeah. I mean, I think in the first, the first and second predator, like he's a beefy boy. Like yeah. he's thick, like he's supposed to be muscular and huge. Well, in and two, too, like I feel like it's a fat predator because especially that shot where it beheads the one drug dealer and it's walking away, that awesome transition where the drug dealer is like screaming when it attacks yes. and, and then it cuts and it's like him holding the head. You see the thighs on that predator? He's got some real like chafing going on in that one. When it's the same actor, Kevin Peter Hall, who played him in the first one, but the makeup's different. They, they made yeah. him a little, a little whiter. He's the thick boy. Yeah. And two I, C's. But I would agree. I think he's like he's much more nimble in this one and there's a scene too where the the um you think that's from the youthfulness is that where you're getting he's the teenage predator I think so because the trapper is the scene they're like shooting up into the trees and he's just like hopping between trees like that is true he's like going back and forth between that sequence is fucking awesome it's just there's so many in this that it's just you I I will say like leading up to this movie's release um I was a little combative online against people who were like, oh, I can't believe we're not going to be able to get to see this movie on the fucking big screen in the theater. And I'm like, okay, well, first off, the majority of this franchise has been viewed on cable for most of you. True. The, the majority of you who are lodging this complaint, you like when you grew up, you were our age. You were five when Predator came out. Calm the fuck down. Like you probably didn't even see Predator 2 in the theaters. Like I happened to see Predator 2 on 35 millimeter just because I live in Austin. They did it for like Terror Tuesday. I saw Predator year. 1 on the big screen. Yeah, and I, I've but. seen it. I've seen them all since. But it's like these were major like for the majority of the fan base now who are in their 30s and 40s. Like these were cable films. Like we saw them on TNT. We saw them on VHS and shit. Like calm the whole like big screen spectacle advocacy down. Like, I'm fine watching this from my couch, but then we actually watched it, and I went, "Mm, you know what? This is actually cinema. Like, this should probably be in a theater. It's kind of a bummer that this is going straight to Hulu when, like, I don't know. uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my... Like, the Bob's Burgers movie went to theaters. And it's like, we we don't... That should have gone to Hulu, too. Yeah, I... 
I'm this is I mean watching it. I'm just like, man, I was excited to watch it again. I'm happy. One of the things I like about streaming films is I can watch them immediately, like the next sure. day. You don't have that, like, like when we were younger, you'd see something in the theater and, like, you'd have to wait five months sometimes, six months until you saw it on VHS, you know? And then you couldn't even buy it. So, like, you had to wait, like, a year before you could own it. Yeah. And have it at home. So, I do, I mean, I do think we live in a, an enlightened age where I could watch the, I could watch Prey every fucking hour. Yeah, if you wanted to, if you I could want, watch it on a loop. Right. But I do, I would love, I mean, like, it's my opener to the section. I would love to see this in a theater. Um, I just think it's it's pretty grand, you know? And it, it's, it's there's some, you know, very Last Mohican shots, some full-on Dante Spinati shit they're doing. Um, oh, yeah, I, especially I, early on when they're in the, the woods, like in Pitch hunts, Black, yeah. where there, there's one on one, there's one warrior on one side of the frame with two torches and one on the other side of the frame, and he perfectly keeps the camera panning with them as they're going through the, the black wilderness. It feels straight out of Last of the Mohicans. Well, there's something that you said while we were watching this, and I don't want us to forget it. Um, maybe you're going to say it anyway, but it's like the idea that this seems like a soft pitch for a series or yeah. a soft pitch of a series of movies on Hulu. Yeah. Um, like we're going to do every era and insert predator into X. Yeah. And really nailing down your idea of predators work better, best when it's predator versus or predator meets or predator in, um, I would love that. I think like predator versus nine 11, <laughs> Jesus. He stops it. Um, yeah, he's Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, he's yeah. Um, but you have like I mean, Civil War, like World War Two, be bad fucking ass. Like in like the Predator stops Pearl Harbor. <laughs> make it just make him a full on hero, you know. <laughs> but almost, I mean, I know what was the, the Predator bo- during World War Two would be fun, or Predator versus like Vietnam. I mean, can you imagine the Predator like in World War One, like in the trenches, like in France, like that would be fucking badass. Yeah, like during that hell on earth. Um, like battles, like trench warfare. But I mean, it seems like, I think you're right where it's that or like maybe a series. Cause like they're doing the alien series. That's Hulu as well. Mm. Um, and it's Disney's Disney's like not really sure what to do with, cause they own, you know, alien and predator now is like, what do we do with this? And it seems like they're going to use TV or at least streaming to play with it for now versus put real money into like a theatrical. Well, it's what they do with all their Fox properties. All of it. Frankly. Yeah. Like they, it just goes straight to streaming where, while they concentrate pretty heavily on like the Marvel and star Wars stuff, um, which also a lot, the majority frankly goes to streaming now, but then they eventize like the bigger, like you had the whole like kind of San Diego Comic-Con panel recently where Feige revealed there's going to be two more Avengers films. There's going to be, they showed the footage for Wakanda forever. Like those are going to be the big events while like, and even then like now like star Wars is pretty much just going to be TV. Like I don't the next think, couple of years. Yeah, I don't think there is another star Wars movies like in the works, like even the Tony Gilmore series, Gilroy series uh, Andor uh, is, which looks incredible. It by looks the way, great. Um, that might be the first kind of Marvel or Star Wars property. That actually, Black Panther we're talking about, with yeah. the same like actually looks like a movie. Yeah, it actually <laughs> looks. It's weird that they are like, sure, you can just do like a turn it into like a, a Terrence Malick film where like babies are being born underwater and shit. Like that trailer is incredible. Um, but those are the movies that are going to be eventized while like. 
everything else goes to streaming. But the Fox stuff in particular, anything that like is aimed squarely towards adults seems like it's just going to go to Hulu. Well, and, and they still, yeah, because they need content for Hulu and they're doing like some good stuff, like comedy stuff, like Palm Springs with Kristen Milioti and like Andy Samberg and, and stuff like that. They're, they're putting some good. Well, that was neon too. Or was that Searchlight who bought it? Was it Searchlight? And then they, they paired with, oh, with yeah. Hulu. But I think Hulu's, you know, they have their original content and they got some good. But they bought like Good Luck Leo Grand out yeah. of Sundance this year and put that straight to Hulu. Like, But again, that's moves. the stuff that's going straight straight to the, the streaming service. Yeah, adults and also like our age of like nerds. We're adults, who, Martin. What's I'm saying? Uh, sorry, we are, I guess straight up adults, but also like nerds of, of a certain age, you know, where it's like, there should be a lot of crossover between like Marvel nerds and Star Wars nerds and Predator nerds. I mean, like that's not a, those concentric circles can cross pretty heavily. I think that Venn diagram uh, yeah, lines up. Of what we grew up with, you know, but like, again, like the, all their Fox properties are so, most of them are pretty hard R. So yeah. you I know. think that's the dividing line there is that anything that was kind of like 80s act like I wouldn't be surprised if like Die Hard gets rebooted mm. and put onto Hulu at some point. Yeah, or like a series. That's what I mean. Like a, like a miniseries wouldn't be bad for a Die Hard. Yeah, like know, a series or, or even McClane a new. Or... Yeah, exactly. Because they had been kicking around Young McClane for like years and like like a diehard prequel. I wouldn't be surprised if that idea is revived and put to Hulu. Oh, like, instead of Jack Ryan is called John McClane. Yeah. And like the whole idea. Or even just McClane. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't be surprised. Not like here's a pitch. Nakatomi. It's just a, a uh, series set inside the Nakatomi building like the day before the, the hijacking occurs. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. See? That'd be good shit. Like, there's just so much shit that you can play with to where, like, it's their IP now, but it's going to be streaming. It's not going to be in theaters. Yeah, exactly. But, Martin, this is wonderful. I think the main thing that we've landed on is there are no bad Predator films and that you should definitely see Prey. Please see Prey. I mean, like, Maverick, good, big. Yeah, one of the best things I've seen all year. Yeah, it's the movie the summer next to Maverick for me. Just blew me the way. So I can't say anything better than that. And what do we have next for him? Well, we're getting another little mini series, right? Um, and It'll uh, be our goodbye to summer mini series. Yeah. So I pitched this to you of idea of like summer's coming to an end, and for a lot of my teacher friends, it already has. Um, and I laugh at that because I worked all summer, so fuck you. Um, and we're going to do a goodbye to summer though with, uh, the meatball series. We are. And then pairing those with some slasher films and other, um, meatball kind of ripoffs, um, mm -hmm. in a way of these teen, uh, sex romps. Um, it's going to be so much fun. And frankly, it's going to be, we're going to feature a lot of movies that aren't good, but man, we're going to find the good in them. You know it, but you're going to have to stay tuned to more secret handshake. See you, See you next time.